On this episode, Arsenal take a massive stride towards their first title in a long, long time. Haaland keeps climbing the charts, but City refuse to accompany him where Everton say bye-bye to Frank Lampard. This is the Jockey Taka Podcast. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the Talkie Taka podcast. We've been on a brief hiatus primarily because uh, us Chelsea supporters were busy trying to find some more pounds under the mattress so that we could potentially try and sign one of these young talents that are available around the world and hold them to a 20 year contract. While RK refused to come on the show while uh, United were winning because he could not jinx them. So now that they've lost again he's happy to jinx the opposition and bring them back to winning ways so without further ado let's begin and rk i'm going to throw it to you first of all how have you been we've got we've had three united games since we last spoke and what's your talky point hey guys uh, subscribe my talky uh, moment has been clouded by what happened after that but i'll select uh, the rash winner against man city last weekend and the celebrations uh, where all the players went into the stretford and and the stand adjacent to that uh, you know it was a unison between the players and fans it is a great moment because uh, we didn't exactly see that winner coming the way the match was panning out a lot of a bit of controversy also happened but uh, you know uh, it was great uh, uh, like the comeback was great the way in which we won was great the overall display was also pretty decent So that's my talking moment of the week. Yeah, and finally some belief coming back to Old Trafford and the fans also on the same page. Uh, Eric Ten Hag being supported on and off the pitch. So times looking good in the future for uh, Manchester United definitely. Now RK will try and jinx that statement uh, five minutes from now. But uh, on that note, uh, Ab, do you have anything to say about Chelsea's buying spree? So yeah, on the buying spree. So like the rest of you guys, I am as confused as you are uh, with regard to why we are spending this much specifically on just uh, a couple of areas of the pitch. But on that note, we did see one of those buys come on and do well against Liverpool. Uh, I think I was very impressed with the Mudrik's debut. Obviously, there's a long way to go. but the 30 35 minutes he was there he was i think the best player on the pitch so uh, after all the negativity some of my recent rants i'm going to go with the positive talking moment and just talk about uh, and just mention mudrick's half an hour at anfield yeah definitely it's, it's still confusing why we've not gone for a midfielder in all these buys uh, maybe enzo fernandes refused to um, ha- take up a nine year contract maybe that's the reason but uh, we shall see i just read today in the guardian that uh, we've bid again we're renewing our search our pursuit of enzo fernandes let's see where that takes us on that note uh, my talky point i guess is these interesting looking contracts that we're handing out eight and a half years seven and a half years nine and a half years i don't know what's next i think uh, very soon we'll have the bet makers uh, putting predictions if these people will actually be here at the end of these contract lengths or not 
but anyway, talking about uh, clubs that have handed out eight-year contracts, Ashwin, how's it been? Moyes had a long contract once given that is still being mentioned uh, whenever we guys talk. But um, I guess mixed bag for you as with RK for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, the, these games come come by so quickly, right? So after the highs of the uh, of the win against City, which 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 we would which we did not deserve, but we'll take it because it's Manchester City. We lost points against Palace <clears throat> at pretty much the last last few minutes of the game, and then losing like that to Arsenal again. Uh, I think the last three games we we. Probably deserved a bit more, so it's a it's been a bit of high and low for United fans for sure. Um, uh, speaking of highs and lows, uh, my talking moment of the week actually swag is the return of the Bundesliga, uh, a league that I really like, uh, and of course it was also the return of a certain Sebastian Haller. Um, he he returned to a very frantic and frenzy game against Augsburg. Um, and uh, I mean, the game was like, like it. It was like a seesaw. Uh, it was like Dortmund won four three in the end. Uh, the great thing about this particular week is that Bayern actually drew one all, uh, which means the difference between the first uh, team in uh, the top of the table and the sixth uh, team, which is Dortmund, is only like seven points. Um, what's the difference between the first and the sixth team in the Premier League? Um, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. Yeah, yeah. you you pipe up now that uh, Bayern drew their last game, but uh, I didn't hear a peep from you when Bayern went from being fourth or fifth in the Bundesliga, reclaimed their top spot, took up a lead of a few points as well. Then I didn't hear anything about that's, the competition it, right? of the league. <laughs> That's it, right? Like, like I said, it's it's one, it's not, it's not the Premier League or La Liga for sure. But it's certainly a nice league to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, Manuel Neuer probably not that interested in watching that league, so he decided to go skiing for some reason, which is still confounding people because they can't believe that there's not a clause in his contract saying that he's allowed to go. But uh, we shall see. Jan Sommer, uh, Manchester United target has moved to Bayern Munich, so that chapter is probably closed for now for uh, United fans. But coming to the Premier League uh, and uh, possibly a title-challenging, title-defining, title-confirming game with Arsenal and Manchester United, after a very long time, we had a lot of things riding on this game uh, probably in the last five years or so. And uh, the game did not disappoint at all. Both teams going for it. Arsenal landing the final blow. United weakening, slightly tiring at the end. But this game had it all, right? Uh, Both teams taking the lead and brilliant to watch. And much fun had by the neutrals who didn't have any stakes in the race. So who wants to start us off on this? RK. Yeah, this uh, is a crucial. Uh, you know, this was a crucial game for Arsenal in the sense that they have now laid down a marker in the title race. I am, I am not in a big hurry, uh, as much as a, uh, in a hurry as Radha is to proclaim the title winners. Uh, so since he's not here on the pod today, it's customary that you know we will talk about him. 
so I'm uh, Arsenal still have two games with City to go, you know, and a whole lot of tough away games, and you know, you never know what happens when half the season is left. So not going that far to say that Arsenal are definitely going to win the league this season, but for sure now they are the favourites. Uh, uh, you know, the way that they have overcome every setback that has been thrown at them, the way that they seem to be able to dominate most teams in the league, uh, you know, uh, home or away, is it definitely shows that Arsenal are the best team in the league by far at the moment. Uh, and United, uh, it's probably the toughest game of the season for United. But uh, while I think the first 60 minutes was pretty much in the balance, uh, United, uh, while we were more on the back foot, but there was a very strong intensity to our game and tactically we were not getting found out. Uh, it was 2-2. However, the last 35 minutes carried on a trend from the Palace game where we kind of struggled in the second half and it's bringing to the fore, you know, the lack of rotation options and probably Eric Ten Hag also at fault for not being able to, you know, uh, take out certain players. I thought we lost the game, especially in the fullback positions. Uh, Luke Shaw had a terrible game uh, against Bukayo Saka. He never got close enough to him. Uh, he should have been taken off for me. Vegoft had a very decent game. I think I, I, I saw a lot of commentary saying that he had a very, uh, you know, he uh, like he wasn't visible and he didn't do good enough. But I thought he his hold-up play, his passing and his pressing was really good. However, he also kind of you know, went into the background uh, and he should have been taken off for Garnacho. So, uh, uh, like a mixture of fatigue and, you know, a reluctance on Ten Hag's part to really take the attack to the opposition did us in. And we had a really horrid last 30 minutes. And, you know, by the end of it, we, you know, deserved to lose that game. Yeah, I agree with, uh, I guess, 90% of what Arke said. Um, I can understand why Ten Hag wanted to leave... Uh, Vegost on the pitch, especially given the pressure that Arsenal were mounting in United, he is potentially an exit route and potentially a better uh, exit route uh, than Garnacho, given the fact that he can hold the ball up, but he was getting tired as I keep saying. Um, on uh, the fullback, I completely agree. I was also texting on the group yesterday as the match was going on. Like uh, United failed to deal with those low, fast crosses, I felt. And and that's largely because they didn't cut them off at source. Like when there's a ball zipped across the box at high speed, anything can happen, right? An own goal, deflected goal, any sort of thing can happen. And that's essentially the winner came from sort of a deflection which fell kindly to NKTR, right? So um, those kind of crosses should be cut out at source. The loopy crosses are still fine. Central defenders can deal with them, especially, you know, guys like Varan and all that shouldn't have a problem with that. But when the ball is zipped across the box like that, as Saka and Martinelli were doing, I think uh, uh, those should have been cut off at source, uh, i.e. the fullbacks, right? So I think that's where they lost the game. I completely agree with RP on that one. Uh, I think having drawn, uh, I think, you know, like when Arsenal went 2-1 up, I thought the game was done there. I don't, I didn't see United coming back into it after that. But then a, a good goal from Martinez after a Ramsdale error uh, got United back into it. And after that, when it was 2-2, I think United will be disappointed to not take a point from that game, uh, given that they fought back well in that game. But uh, but yeah, Arsenal are showing their credentials. I know RK wasn't, uh, wasn't going to call them out as 
title title winners just yet but i think i will go that far uh, i think arsenal are going to win the title simply because i think momentum will take them across the line i think uh, there's just too much positivity there uh, too much uh, you know buoyancy and too few injuries so i think they'll they'll win yeah i mean the uh, i mean arkin other uh, obviously spoken a lot about the game in itself but one thing i want to call out is that this particular fixture for the last four five seasons has been like a meme fixture almost right because uh, i mean both these teams have been struggling for like fifth and sixth uh, positions uh, but it was really refreshing to see you know um, uh arsenal and united almost in a top of table clash um, i'm not going to say that united are in any way you know title challengers or anything like that but i mean to be third uh just maybe one or two points of cities uh, i mean is a job really well done coming to the match in itself i agree with rk um, about the fact that the full backs did not do um uh, the full backs did not do uh, well to close down the wingers uh, especially saka and martinelli who had a field day uh, the first goal especially i don't know what aaron van bissaka was doing um <clears throat> you can see you can see when the corner is being taken he's he's uh, he's tracking and ketia and then he just loses it loses him like i don't know what what he does he goes towards the central defender and then he does not track back the run of and um, and ketia and that's what led to the goal as well um and uh, coming to coming to the goals that arsenal conceded i think arsenal also kind of lost um yeah their the defensive shape uh, especially for the for the for the martinez for the martinez goal which i think it was a very it was a big surprise that that goal came like that um and the last 20 25 minutes um we did what we did against palace uh, i think um once we got that equalizer we should have we should have you know retained our shape which we did not do well at all and then when you don't have the likes of casemiro and you have the likes of uh, scott mctominay playing you can see the difference in in quality scott mctominay is at most like a i don't know like an everton or a burnley kind of a player he's he, he's not a united level player not even a united squad player and with fred you have he's like this jekyll and hyde kind of character you really don't know what you're going to get one day he could be like a world class beater and like uh, you know um, using his left foot to curl in a ball into the top corner and like totally dictating the play and on another day he could be running around like a headless chicken like i said i think he it was the it was the latter rather than the former um, and and that's what gave us in towards the very end i i do agree with rk we should have taken we should have taken shaw off um and i think we we probably could have gotten garnacho a bit earlier because we were definitely missing players who could run um and and that was that was telling and in the end i think it was the passion that won it for arsenal as well uh, you could see at the end of the game how passionate arteta was well he always is but like the players even um so i think i think uh, that is what got them uh, the win in the end yeah i'm i'm i just find it interesting um, given all the brouhaha that uh, was raised at the beginning of the season with carragher questioning martinez's height that right now you have 
players at both ends of the pitch at United, whose height is their <laughs> defining characteristic right now, with Vegost and Martinez. But uh, yeah, Casemiro's absence was definitely missed, and and that that shows you quite a lot of difference, right? As you said, a midfield of Casemiro, Eriksen, and Fernandes, or Fernandes as you call him, and compare that with Mekti, Eriksen, and Bruno is 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 completely a sea change. Yeah. Yeah, you actually brought brought in a really good point. Uh, I forgot to mention uh, Christian Eriksen as well. I think Eriksen was a bit bit weak. But having said that, like when we got Christian Eriksen, he wasn't supposed to play like ninety minutes every game, <laughs> and you could see like how tired he felt. Even towards towards the end, I think he got a chance where I think he was surprised that he got a chance, and he just he he, he just hit the ball and he got a corner out of it. But like I mean, like. Um, a fitter and a you know much more aware Ericsson probably goes to the far corner, uh, and and I I just felt that you know like we were definitely missing Casemiro, but we were also kind of missing the real Christian Ericsson. You know, uh, Licha and Varan, the kind of game that they had, it's very surprising. Uh, you know, you would be surprised to see that we you know deserve to concede three goals. They. Uh, you know, their reading of the game was so good. They put in a lot of last-ditch tackles and clearances. Even then, Arsenal created so many chances to score three goals and it, you know, goes back to that same midfield problem uh, that, you know, you guys talked about. Uh, Ashwin, you said that, uh, you know, McTominay is a Burnley or a West Ham kind of a player. I think he might be a Newcastle player, uh, you know, next season. Uh, Newcastle are interested to sign. Very interested to sign him in January, but United obviously can't let him go. Uh, uh, but hopefully that might be a good source of you know transfer money. Given our financial state of affairs, if we are able to get a good you know transfer amount for McTominay there, uh, we always knew that number eight is a is also going to be an important signing for us. Uh, and we knew that uh, you know uh, like the kind of limitations that Ericsson has definitely. We will have to find some space in our budget to get a you know new number eight as well, uh, and make sure we use Ericsson where he is uh, you know strongest. Uh, uh, but having said that, Arsenal I think were really good value for the win. Uh, we shouldn't get too upset about the kind of performance that we gave. Uh, I think uh, you know uh, you know keeping in mind the level at which Arsenal is performing and. The, the 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 face of our evolution you can't be too down about you know what happened yesterday uh, uh having said that nikitia and jesus is something i wanted to talk about so you know i think uh, you know having watched all or nothing uh, the season uh, and having seen how arsenal evolved over that season and the way they crumbled at the end of it definitely those new signings from man city gave them a real boost in terms of mentality so uh, you know, I, I'm never going to say that Jesus wasn't the most important player for Arsenal, but you know, the, like the way that Nikitia has come in, uh, I would say even if Jesus comes back right now, it's he's not going to get back into that team because Nikitia is doing a lot of you know build-up work, the lot of pressing that Jesus was doing. In addition, he seems to be able to get into the right place at the right time. Uh, uh, you know, very very important player. Uh, like. So, so you know, I just wanted to hear how you guys have thought about how he's come in over the past month and, you know, really helped them along. Yeah, and it speaks volumes to, uh, 
I think you mentioned the team spirit and what's gone on in the documentary and stuff like that, that uh, the confidence has been given to these fringe players as well. Because uh, last season, Enketia was nowhere uh, in the mix for the first uh, 11. And in fact, I think even in the summer, there were talks that he might go out. Uh, he, he might be transferred out of the team. But they decided to keep him or he decided to stay and fight for his place. What, whatever that uh, be, he's stayed here and he's making a difference. As you said, I, I, I don't see it uh, as... I mean, I was thinking yesterday after the game that uh, when Jesus comes back, they'll probably once obviously like to ease him in, back into the team. So that gives Enketia more time to stay in the eleven, And after that, obviously the focus will be on the Premier League and not the Europa League. Uh, it's definitely guaranteed that Enketia starts all games in the Europa League for sure. He's 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 not going to go away, and he's proven himself to be more than an more than capable uh, deputy for uh, for Jesus. I know we talked about how Mudrik would fit fit into this picture, and that's not happened now. But Trossard has come in, so they do have more attacking options on the wings now. So so Enketia seems to be in a good space to get more game time, get more important game time and the lead that they have right now, that gives them more opportunity to experiment and stay the course with Nketiah, who's a young academy talent. So so there's there's absolutely no drawback there. Yeah, I think this is an ideal situation for him and uh, it's all upside with very little downside. Um, <clears throat> Is he a striker who wins you the Premier League all by himself? Is he of that quality? Probably not. But I think uh, given the overall confidence of the squad, given the way Saka and Martinelli are playing, I think he's just feeding off of that and having a good time. right? So I think this is the purple patch of his career. I know he's still young. He, he'll get better. But this is the highlight, I think. I don't know if it gets better than this for a player like Enkedia. Yeah, and uh, I also wanted to ask you guys, um, now that this game has happened and we've, we always said, okay, they've got these two games coming up against City, they've still got to play Manchester United, who are the only team who've beaten them this season. They have to play Newcastle now. They drew with Newcastle. They dropped a couple of points, but they've now beaten United as well. They go into the two games with City with their tails up. Their confidence is high. How do we see this uh, playing out uh, I, I don't know if there are going to be any more signings uh, now that Trossard is in, but uh, it's looking good. And even though Arun might still say that they're going to finish fifth and he's still waiting for the Rashford hat-trick from yesterday to happen, but uh, definitely, definitely ahead of ahead of schedule and uh, looking good for a serious tilt at the title challenge. Yeah, Arsenal definitely favourites uh, now for me, but I am, you know, uh, like really looking forward to the double header with City because City have shown on the past two games that, you know, they're not going to go away that easily as United did. They are still in the hunt. If they get, uh, you know, four points, let's say, from those two games, it can really, you know, put some pressure on Arsenal and the closer that we get to the finish line, Arsenal will start thinking about the title more and more. So, uh, but having said that, hands down, the best team in the league right now is Arsenal. So, favourites for me. Yeah, I think, I think I'll think i say 
much higher probability for Arsenal to win now, despite having those two games against City. Uh, I know the last two games, um, City have... Well, I would say the last one and a half games, actually, because the first half against Spurs, they, 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 were, uh, they were losing 2-0 and then Mahrez just changed the game. Uh, I know they have, they have that in them, but it's not always the case that you know, City will come from behind and then, or like, Haaland will score hat-tricks every other game. Like, I think this is not the City which used to compete with Liverpool for like a 98-99 point season. I think this City has shown that it has some frailties. Uh, and I think over the next few weeks, that will be exposed. I think City would definitely prioritize the Champions League once they, you know, once this gap becomes even more. Uh, and for Arsenal, I don't think they give a rat's furry ass about the Europa League. So for them, it's like it's like all guns blazing uh, with the league. So and I think between the two, uh, I feel the the gap is probably too much uh, uh, for you know for Arsenal to lose it from here. Yeah, um, Ake said if they get four points, then they probably will win the league. I will go so far as to say that even if they get one point in those two games against City, I think they should be fine. Uh, unless they get hammered like 4-0 or something in the other game, uh, which would result in a dent in confidence. But I don't think... Uh, I think one point is enough. If they get just one point out of those six, City would have still gained only three points on them. And I think City will drop more points. So... Uh, for me, I think, I mean, what's the point of giving a prediction if you're not going to be brave, right? Even if it's only halfway through the season. So I'm going to say Arsenal are going to win the league. It makes my, you know, it makes my, my stomach want to throw up in all sorts of ways. But I think Arsenal are going to win the league. You you can see the pain in Ab's eyes as he, as he ponders the thought of Arsenal winning the Premier League and maybe Spurs finishing in the top four and Chelsea nowhere to be seen. That 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 would probably just have up go on a sabbatical of sorts, but yeah, um, talking more I about. Rather, I would rather have all those annoying Arsenal fans all over <laughs> social media talking about you know how they have given so much time to Arteta, even though like half of them were saying Arteta out until last year. Then City winning another league. To be honest, uh, yeah, I mean that is what it has come to. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind Arsenal winning the league. Uh, I know as a Chelsea fan, I'm supposed to not like that to happen. But yeah, I've had uh, enough of City winning this. And it would be funny to have uh, Haaland score like 60-70 goals. And despite that, not win the, not, not win the Premier League. And uh, talking about Haaland, uh, he's nine goals away from the all-time Premier League golden goal, golden boot number of goals so he's already scored 25 he just needs nine to tie Scherer and Cole and he's just seven away from Salah I don't think anyone's realistically expecting him not to win that uh, award now so that's done and dusted that's that's got lesser odds than Arsenal winning the league for sure but despite all that there has been a bit of a clamor in recent days about whether he's good for the team or not. And we've had a bit of discussion about this on the group as well. So I just wanted uh, you guys uh, to just share your thoughts on that. Uh, is is Haaland good for the way Pep wants City to play? Or 
is Haaland so good that City should play around him? Yeah, we talked about this and on the pod, Ashwin has talked about how Pep has been looking for control uh, a lot this season in matches. And to be honest, that's the thing that Pep likes, right? He likes total, absolute control and uh, he has, over the last 10 years, become used uh, to having a false nine, which, uh, you know, to improve that control. And, uh, you know, for me, this is not so much about Haaland uh, as it is about Pep, uh, you know, and it might seem like a contrarian opinion at first saying, how can a guy who scores 25 goals in, you know, less than half a season, uh, you know, and you say that the team has not improved or rather it's regressed. But for me, looking at City, the way that they have been in the last one and a half years where uh, they finished uh, with 90 plus points last season, they got almost 50 points this, the half season before that uh, in 2020-21. And they reached the latter stages of the Champions League and they were looking hands-on favourites uh, in the Champions League as well. So, the kind of dominance that City have shown in the last one and a half years without Haaland and, you know, what they have performed so far, the issues that have that they have shown this season cannot be dissociated from the fact that, and that's where I come back to the point about it's Pep and not Haaland, you cannot dissociate it from the fact that Pep has not been able to integrate Haaland in such a manner that he retains that control. And it is for that reason, you know, that he is trying to make other parts of the team uh, to, you know, come and blend in to give him that control. I am sure seeing him over the past few seasons that he will find the answer to it eventually. But right now, uh, I think I am fairly certain that, you know, City are not a better team with Haaland uh, than they were without him till this season. Yeah, I think, see... At the end of it, it, at the end of it, it comes down to you know, Ireland and understanding the city way of playing or the Pep way of playing versus versus. Uh... Yeah, listener, you can hear um, uh, Ronaldo fans taking a procession outside Ashwin's home, celebrating the fact that the same <laughs> questions are being asked about a different striker now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, so uh, it, it's about, like I said, it's it's about it's about Haaland understanding the Pep way of playing and Pep understanding the Haaland way of playing, right? So at at Borussia Dortmund, he had like really wide players supporting him, and they would usually you know cut in from the left or right, so Royce and Sancho, and then assist the ball, and like he would like to get involved quite a bit, so you would have a lot more space to run into, which which I think now. Is not the case. I think Pep, Pep wants him to occupy a certain space because, like what RK said, it's all about the control with with, with Pep, and uh, that that of course is not hap- uh, happening to the extent uh, that that Haaland wants. I think over time, both Pep and Haaland will come to a truce, and they will have this understanding as to you know, uh, you know what tweaks Pep would have to make to their style of play to get even more out of him, which is actually a very scary thought. Like you said, Swag, like 25 goals already in the Premier League and like, I, I don't know how many more to come. So, I think all these talks happen when like uh, your team loses a few points and there were two surprise losses, one, one to Saints and one to Man United. And I'm sure City will uh, probably find a way to um, lose in some 
knockout stage of the Champions League as well, where this will come up again. So I think it's probably more that than uh, than anything else. Yeah, but the the way he keeps scoring, it's like uh, he's playing amateur level on FIFA, while the rest of the team is professional or or world class. It's it's stupid numbers, right? Four hat tricks in 19 games. The next best is in 65 games. So it's crazy. He's he's mastered the act of scoring at the Etihad. Now all he needs to do is start scoring away as well, and then you're looking at a hundred goal a season. You know, the thing here is it's not. it's not in any way similar to you know what we discussed about ronaldo and about what impact he has haland in his in his style of play doesn't is not supposed to you know impact any team negatively because he works hard off the ball you know he's not he's not a you know uh, like a liability that ways uh, it's just that he's so direct he's so goal hungry and you know sniffing around the box that he doesn't make those movements uh you know coming deep to help guardiola so again this is you know uh, uh this is a guardiola problem more than a haland problem and that makes me even more convinced that you know last season if ronaldo had joined city as he was supposed to before he joined you know man united uh he i think liverpool would have won the league so man united as uh, so man city have a lot to thank united for yeah you wish you wish and uh... Yeah, I think I remember listening or watching something related to this, where it talks about how his movement is, as you said, he doesn't drop deep. He basically confines himself to the goal line. So he 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 will move around, but he will move around near the box within the goal. So he won't drop outside uh, the D. So he's always very central, which is why probably now you see folks like Mahrez. Uh, readily in the in the lineup and giving him that width to play with and and that's working well uh, for pep as ashwin said there are a few pitfalls along the way but uh, yeah you you betting in probably the best striker of the next 10 15 20 years and uh, some teething troubles are to be expected but even with with that there's still uh, 20 games played 45 points in so it's not as if uh, they're uh, struggling like Liverpool or Chelsea are, but for that, uh, let's move on. Um, in part two, we'll discuss uh, the side Liverpool and Chelsea and how they had the most amazing Premier League game I've seen all season. and welcome back in part 2 we are starting off with liverpool and chelsea and i'm going to hand over to ab to take us through mudrick watch and before i do that my question as ever is where are these midfielders when are we signing them yeah the 50 million pound or 100 pound million pound question i guess so not going to touch on everyone we have bought so far because that's a podcast in itself but um uh, on the game i think uh it was uh it was a game that was severely lacking in quality from both sides rather than ever watching it together and both of us every two minutes would go would go you know we would just take a deep breath and be like what what did the cage just do what did this guy just do each time we are referring to a different guy So it wasn't a game that had a lot of quality in it. 
um i think we were solid i expected to get completely overrun in midfield we had hall georginio and gallagher as our midfielders that's <laughs> that's weak by any stretch of the imagination so i expected we'd get overrun we did get overrun uh, thanks to you know liverpool's midfield not having the legs that it used to have but um uh yeah coming to this really not much to say on the game coming to of course mudrik himself i think he was pretty good for the 30 35 minutes he was there there's a lot more to come i'm sure and uh, we have a 10 day gap, gap between our next game now so i'm looking forward to seeing how potter beds him in for the upcoming fixtures um couple of things to note of course mudrik was great uh, that's two clean sheets in a row now i think that's the first time in a long time and the change has been benwa pariashil that's the only change that's come in the defense so that's that's been a really positive uh, uh positive sign he's padded into the team like he's always been the next to thiago silva that's great to see because kulibali wasn't doing well um quick shout out to uh, kukurela who has not been playing well but was on top of sala for 90 minutes sala wouldn't have his best game but either kukurela was fantastic and uh, surprisingly uh we had even though the game was a nil nil we actually outperformed liverpool on xg i think we got 1.8 xg to their 1.2 or something like that which also surprised me you don't see teams out xging liverpool at anfield um but yeah that's a good uh, i think that's my 2 minute summary of the game that to me to me it was like almost i was like flabbergasted just watching liverpool it's not the liverpool that you're used to seeing right like they appeared so weak and against a chelsea team which hasn't been like flying so high even like i was i was i was so surprised and ab you spoke about the chelsea midfield but like the liverpool mid- midfield wasn't particularly strong as well and um i mean they 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 obviously are missing a lot of players to injury similar similar to you but like to have to have like what, what i can't even pronounce his name is it batch batchitch or like like the 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 young guy 18 year old guy i think him starting uh, as center midfield along with thiago alcantara who's like perennially injured and kaita was not like the kaita from before like it was it was so evident it was so evident that they had a weak midfield and it was so evident that they made the team weaker james milner i don't know what the man eats how is he still playing in the premier league that too i i, I don't understand how is he starting i know trent was had a niggling injury or something of that sort and maybe that's the reason they had to start with him but like if james milner is playing against the like of the likes of howards and mount it's like even even though howards and mount are not like performing really well it's it's it is it is a sign of trouble right uh, the game in itself like i've said it wasn't the most most you know watchable game but then i think both the teams probably um would be happy with the one point uh and i uh, i just wanted to ask you one thing uh, i know you you mentioned a lot about mudrik but also the new the new uh, center back uh, what's his name bat bat badishil badishil what do you think about him to me he, he seemed like this tall lanky central 
defenders you know strikers would be fearful of like what what do you think about what do you think about him yeah i'll be honest i haven't seen him play much at monaco only highlights reels when i heard that he was coming to chelsea but in the 180 180 minutes that we have seen him so far i think he's been like fantastic he seems to be like uh, he is tall and lanky he seems to be extremely athletic he has long strides covers ground very quickly uh, very good in the air there was a, quite a few crosses uh, in the game against liverpool which he handled uh, very well he seems to fit very well next to thiago silva so so far you know all the boxes are being ticked uh, obviously he will have done a test i think the premier league tests you uh, like the more and more you play you know it tests you more and more um but you know so far everything that we have seen from this chap looks really good and he's still only 21 uh, i can only imagine that playing alongside thiago silva he'll get better so i think there's a lot of signings chelsea have made this looks like one of the one of the better ones for sure and ashwin the desultory way in which you refer to basetic i am sure that when radha hears this pod he is going to go off you know a pressure cooker because Uh, based on whatever i have heard from him uh, he seems very impressed uh, you know and basetic is one of his favorite young players yeah you uh, remember so him saying been... you remember him saying my boy basetic and now exactly. what ashur is doing he's he's going to blow his top yeah it's it's going to be one of those i i remember the earlier pod you know when we did a master class on liverpool and radha came all cannons firing on us after that uh you know but but i i sympathize with the reason that klopp is going with this midfield uh we have talked a lot about henderson and fabinho and how bad they have been we have talked uh, a lot on the group as well about how uh, you know how lazy and how uninvolved alexander arnold looked in the second half uh, right of the previous game and uh, and and that is the reason why i think klopp has a, 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 like he's kind of sticking with the midfield that saw him through against wolves uh they showed uh, so the class and the quality is not there which you associate with them but you know you understand why he wants more legs and more stamina in there and i think this is his last attempt kind of to put some kind of an urgency some kind of a fight for places into that team uh by making them fight for their place in the 11 and you know not taking it for granted so uh so i can definitely understand why you know klopp is going with this more functional setup uh and uh, you know coming to chelsea i was talking about you know what more players uh, you know they need to sign so let's come to that i mean uh, you know there are two ways of looking at this right after spending 450 million you still want to spend another 450 million i mean uh, you have such a bottomless pit you can ask for anyone and you get them i mean uh, like why don't you just spend that money on enzo instead of thinking about how overvalued he is to buy at value man just because you are uh, you know buying a lot of players doesn't mean you should get suckered into a bad deal i mean just <laughs> have a history of doing exactly that is that is that, But, uh, is that a shot on united fans <laughs> actually no that's a shot at uh, the previous regime who went and bought timo werner and what no, all those guys i have words yeah have words i mean i i i go hard on have words but i still you know i i'll He's still here and he's still young. Yeah, he won us the Champions League, so you know I think we, I'll cut him some slack. But uh, but yeah, coming to our case point, uh, I I think there's just one one more transfer Chelsea need to make, which is a central midfielder. 
there's a lot of talk of Casero and Brighton having rejected a 55 million pound bid and all that. I don't know. Uh, it hasn't come from uh, reliable guys like Fabrizio just yet. But uh, I think we need a midfielder. I think the club knows it also. I think fans are, yes, the fans are irritated that attacking players are, you know, being purchased without... Uh, without a view on the midfield. I don't think it's that. I think it's just that the midfield options that the club has identified will take longer to get over the line. I think that's just how it is. Um, so, <clears throat> let's see. There is there is expected to be a huge clear out. Uh, we do expect that uh, ZH will leave <clears throat> this winter itself, as in within the next week, is what I, I read today. I'm not sure how how accurate those reports are. And there's also reports that uh, Bayern want to take Havertz off our hands for an amount between 40 and 50 million. So uh, that's just two of the names that we've heard, but I think uh, there's expected to be a huge clear out uh, over the rest of these, this transfer window and the summer that is to come. So I expect that the books will get balanced over a period of time. And I think uh, if we do end up going for Casado and buying him, the next thing we need to do is probably change our kit to look like Brighton. Might help uh, bring uh, some cheer when we play Liverpool the next time, considering what Brighton did to them. Yeah, I think uh, also Chelsea are going, uh, you know, pretty strategic. They have signed a striker who's going to join them in the summer. They have signed a left winger. They have signed a right winger now. They have signed a centre-back. So it's not like, you know, they are reinforcing in the same position. Uh and and probably uh, as you guys are saying, like if they sign a centre midfielder, it will you know make Chelsea really ominous contenders. I think next season if Potter is able to sort himself and his team out. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the jinxing has started already. Uh, I mean, not even waiting for the January window to close before jinxing us for next season. But yeah, as we've been talking about, a central central midfielder is important for uh, Chelsea's uh, pursuit. We'll see how how Potter goes. I'm not sure uh, what the hierarchy has in mind for him. But uh, yeah, it's early days for this uh, new management structure, so you you never know. It it seems quite a bit like they want to leave their own mark on the squad. Uh, and probably the clear-out will remove quite a lot of uh, Romans bot players. Uh, but Swag, how do you think Chelsea are managing this? I mean, that's kind of beating a lot of observers. How are they able to spend this much money and how will they avoid FFP? So you guys want to throw some light on that? So, okay. So, I think we are all fairly familiar with how FFP works now, right? In the sense that... Uh, up to- Price you play for a player is amortized over the length of the contract, and uh, and obviously you have to take in wages. So uh, to give one example, right? And it's, it's not it's not my maths. I saw this uh, on another Chelsea fans uh, Twitter page. But uh, so Jorginho is leaving in the summer, right? He's uh, likely going to Juventus. He's not renewing his contract, right? Jorginho was bought for around. 60 million pounds on a four-year contract. So that's 15 million per year. Plus he makes, uh, on a five-year contract, so it's 12 million per year. Plus he makes like 200k a week. So which means that on an annual basis, uh, his 
weight on the ledger is around 15 and a half million pounds, right? Uh, if you look at Moodrick, bought for 60 million upfront, I know there's bonuses beyond that, but at a wage of um, 70k per week over a six or seven or eight year contract, eight. that works out to, even with the bonuses, assuming they all get paid, works out to around 17 billion a year. So net-net from an accounting perspective, it's only a million and a half deficit. So you can you can go for the transfer if you can manage the cash, just the liquidity bit of it. I think that's a, a simple example. Uh, but that said, I, I, we've not just bought that, we've bought, you know, Pariyashi, we've bought this, uh, this young English chap from PSV, we've bought a lot of transfers. I think that will hit us in FFP if we don't do a clear out in the summer. So it's, it, uh, it's contingent on that uh, to a certain extent. So another yeah, thing, another thing that is it's giving us and as United fans, uh, you obviously remember what Phil Jones, uh, that saga. So we've now paid all this money for these players over these seven, eight year periods. So as Ab said, the contracts are amortized for that period. So per year, it's not hitting you as hard. But what, what you're also doing is that you're guaranteeing that much money per year for the next eight years to these people. So it's like 2031. And even then, Modric is supposed to be on the books. Maybe Modric fails and he fails spectacularly. No one wants anything to do with him. You still have to pay him the 70K every week. So that's the risk that you're taking that uh, you're saying that, okay, we are pretty sure that these guys will uh, come in handy and they will uh, they, they, they will prove to be a success for us. Or maybe they move on to greener pastures and maybe um, uh, another powerhouse comes in and says, okay, we want to buy Mudrik for, let's say, 120 mil. Or if he doesn't work out, we move him on quickly, like for 40 million or something like that. So it's, it's a bit like Kepa situation where we spent tons of money on him and he flopped so badly that no one was willing to take him on. So so we were stuck with his wages. Now Mondi is not doing well, so he's back in the lineup. He's doing decently well this season. But obviously, it's it's still hindering us from going for a proper goalkeeping target that we would have preferred to. So there's pros and cons uh, for that. But yeah, that's, that's the reason why all these long-length contracts have been given to make sure that uh, the per-year hit is not as high and you don't fall foul. Having said that, also would be good to keep European football because losing European football completely will hit us uh, badly as well, considering we've had Champions League in the last three, four years at least uh, consistently. So considering we're looking a bit light on that front this season, that might be tricky. But uh, we'll see how Boli and Co... Uh, manage that aspect right so moving on from finance 101 um, Newcastle uh, ever since I talked them up as is the case about teams on this podcast as soon as I talk someone up they they, they go pair-faced uh, they've uh, dropped a few points they're still uh, in the top four I would still say that okay they might not be in a title challenge uh, anymore but they still look uh, solid for uh, a top four finish. Trippier is proving to be one of the most, uh, one of the best players of uh, this season. 
and uh, their defense has been immaculate and you don't expect names like uh, Newcastle's defense to be the standout defense of the league but uh, people like Shar and Dan Burn and Nick Pope okay Nick Pope is good I'll, I'll I'll put up my hands and say okay I thought Nick Pope was a great signing which is why I picked him in my draft team as well Newcastle uh, we have uh, some interesting signings potentially coming up. McTominay potentially going there uh, this January, as you you talked about, as cover for Gimaresh. But uh, United seem to have pulled the plug on that for uh, immediately right now. Newcastle seem to be having a similar problem uh, to United up front. If you look at it, like 20 games, both of them have scored a similar amount of goals. Both of them have had you know well-established conversations around strikers and. You know, one Premier League game in the last four, uh, that was also one of the reasons that they got knocked out of the FA Cup, where they couldn't convert a lot of their chances. Uh, So, you know, Newcastle are definitely struggling. Uh, uh, You know, they are not struggling to create chances, but they are struggling to, you know, put them away. Callum Wilson has had a pretty, uh, uh, you know, very dire time after the World Cup. I think he's been out for some time with illness and he struggled to, you know, come back to match fitness, uh, Alexander Isaac and St. Maximin are just, you know, they are still bedding in a month, almost a month after coming back into the squad, they are still bedding in. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, you always need to compare such teams with what they were. And from that point of view, I think one year, the transformation of Newcastle, uh, a lot of their basics, the uh, you know, a lot of their fundamentals are still in place. So while they are definitely all the people who thought about you know, Newcastle and United being in a title race can, you know, shut shop. But yeah, it's, it's I think, still more or less positive for these teams and they still maintain a decent gap to the rest of the teams there. Yeah, I think I think what Newcastle are looking for is, uh, is a heritage uh, for them to reach the Champions League and someone who has, uh, who can bring that Champions League pedigree. RK, I think your favourite, favourite player in the whole world. So all Newcastle need to do is to you know, um, uh, look at the players playing in the Saudi league, uh, and they can potentially sign Cristiano Ronaldo. What do you think about that? If if Newcastle sign Ronaldo, it's uh, like Eddie Howe will be the next Olegana Solskjaer for sure. On to the other end of the table now, and uh, we just had word before we started recording that. Super Frankie Lampard has been sacked as Everton manager. So we had the Everton West Ham El Sakiko uh, game, and uh, both of them went back to their exes and uh, didn't turn out well for Lampard in the end. And uh, West Ham fans must be chuffed about that. But uh, how are we looking at this? So Wolves seem to have some momentum with uh, Lopetegui coming in, and they seem to be getting some money from somewhere. They've signed Matthias Kuna for uh, 44 million, so they're now out of the drop zone. Bournemouth are in the drop zone, as I said, that they they had started to look good, but it'll be key to see how the January transfer window rolls for them. And they've had to take over, but no signings whatsoever. So as expected, they're in the bottom three now. Southampton look like they're turning a corner, but they lost again to Aston Villa now. So Southampton, Everton, and Bournemouth right now in the in the bottom three. You have teams like West Ham and Wolves, etc. Around. It's still chaotic there, uh, but I think two or three more game weeks and we should start seeing some daylight between some teams there. Anyone has any thoughts on 
the makeup of the drop zone i think the question uh, should be asked to you swag like who is your next target now that you have successfully managed to pull bournemouth into the relegation zone <laughs> Yeah yeah okay so you 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 basically want me to try and get Arsenal Man City and uh, who else Chelsea maybe <laughs> I would be Ah uh, you wish you wish <laughs> Yeah on the topic of relegation uh I do not recall what I had predicted at the beginning of the season I am pretty sure I did not predict Everton going down because I think irrespective of manager there is too much quality in the squad for them to go down but now i am genuinely worried i know this feels like a repeat of last season i think some fans will say the same thing last season uh, i am looking at the table right now on my phone and i see everton southampton and bournemouth are at the bottom and we spoke about that also i think this will be the bottom three i uh, again caveat i don't recall what i said but i think this will be the bottom three i did recall saying that southampton will go down so i think i got at least one of the three right uh but i think uh, this will be the bottom three i just don't see them coming back into it uh, i still don't see i know they got rid of hasan hotel i still don't see a lot of brightness at southampton uh, everton are absolutely dire these those players seem to pretty much desert and destroy any manager that goes there and uh, and yeah i think you have done your work on bournemouth so i think i think this is sorted uh, i look at the teams above them i know moyes has been in trouble lately uh, but i see wolves improving i see west ham improving leeds could get down there but i think jesse marsh has enough about it to keep them out of the relegation zone so i think this will be the bottom i i guess we are doing half time predictions today or half half season predictions today at least i seem to be doing it but uh, go, go for it i think this i think this will be the bottom three. maybe you can play it back to me at the end of the game don't don't worry i plan to play back everything from the beginning of the season where all of us listed our top 4 and bottom 3 as well and compare that to what eventually happens i'm pretty sure no one predicted arsenal winning the winning the league so i think no one's winning the no one's winning the predictions league there yeah uh, so so uh, you know uh, funnily enough i uh, like today morning i was doing the same thing uh, looking at the you know last three spots and trying to think of what i was uh, or what i had predicted i i'm fairly sure i had gone for uh, bournemouth fulham uh, and forest to finish in the bottom three so right now only bournemouth is there uh, forest uh, funnily enough we were talking we were pretty sure of them a few weeks back but uh we also spoke about you know among all the teams in that bottom 6 or 7 they seem to have developed at least some kind of an identity uh, in the way that they defend and they counter so forest are looking more and more you know uh, like uh, sure of uh, you know probably being able to avoid that cut if you look at their points per game they have gone above that you know uh, like the biblical so to say 1 point per game or you know 40 point mark which is needed Uh, to be safe uh, so i i kind of agree with up that this this bottom three has a big task on hand if they want you know want to escape out because above them uh, we have west ham wolves leicester 
these are the kind of teams that you know you are more or less sure that they will find their way out leeds uh, is the one team i would say still has the potential to get into that bottom three mix uh, like the way that uh, or the kind of form that they are displaying but leeds have a lot of depth in attack for me they they still have good attackers uh, uh you know young attackers who i think will kind of uh, uh you know save them from the drop there so i i would also go with this uh, you know these bottom three but who knows if if everton hire sam allardyce he will you know probably work his magic as well yeah i mean it's too difficult to predict right like because um maybe 3 4 weeks back uh, we we probably had a different bottom three uh that we are predicting and now that the likes of bournemouth and everton are there it uh, you, you really don't know what's going to happen i think a lot will depend on what is everton's next step who's the next manager i don't know if that has been announced yet uh, has it been no no not so. yet uh, but interestingly a certain mr wayne rooney is being linked with the job yeah he is he is so i mean i know he do- doesn't have any experience managing in the premier league but he did wonders with derby that similar to frank lampard right but you you never know what's going to happen I, but at this point in time just looking at the form of these three teams it seems that like they were the teams that will uh, face the drop uh, i'm uh, rk i know you you are you're slightly more convinced with leeds but i i'm, I'm i still don't know i think i i really feel that leads on their day can be the best team and the worst team like they had such a great game against manchester city they still lost it uh, but like i mean it could be like we really, really don't know with leads uh, i don't think they have progressed much after uh, sacking uh, el loco uh, so i'm uh, i think if if there is any other team that can potentially finish bottom 3 it's probably them sorry so just before we round up uh, the next set of games uh, just a word on juventus so juventus have been fined 15 points for their uh, financial mispractice malpractice and uh, that puts them from second spot in the serie a to the 10th spot then they went ahead and drew 3-3 with atlanta yesterday so things not looking very rosy for uh, Juventus and they've been multiple bans handed out Agnelli has been banned from football for 2 years Pavel Nedved has been banned for 15 months or 16 months or something like that there might well be a clear out at Juventus well before it happens at Chelsea United seem to be looking for a number 8 there might be someone who's just gone there who can play in central midfield and he might be available a third reunion with Paul Pogba incoming under Eric Ten Hag <laughs> we heard Dusan Vlahovic being mentioned uh, as uh, being linked with uh, United as well uh, apparently offered to United so um, this, watch this space i think uh, a lot of united uh, a lot of juventus players might be moving to different uh, teams it would be just funny if uh, di maria and pogba come back i just want one hour of ashwin talking about his feelings about that we 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 uh, we refused that offer is what i want to say oh. and and neither do we want adrian review please oh yeah you got rabio as well so yeah you got rabio and di maria and 
PP who can just go back to his old home in Manchester. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that sh- that would be an interesting thing to keep an eye out on. Yeah, uh, fun- funnily enough, funnily enough, I don't I don't know if probably the non-United fans will know this, but Anthony is actually staying at Paul Pogba's. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And apparently, he's seeing uh, PP monogrammed everywhere. So. PP is written on the stairs in gold and stuff like that. So Pogba, you, the the bling that you see on Pogba outside the pitch, it's in his house as well. And Anthony is apparently very surprised about this because he's apparently not that an that extroverted a character. Keeping keeping it warm for uh, um, for Paul. Yeah, he has won his first trophy uh, for Barcelona. Uh, they had this uh, like Super Copa. extended version of the Super Copa, which they played in Saudi, right? So yeah. that's his first trophy, and apparently they have you know kind of experimented with you know having four midfielders while retaining a four-two-three-one uh, shape, uh, you know, uh, with with Gavi playing on the left side. So uh, you know that's Zavi's version of trying to bring control. So you know, uh, despite some inconsistent results, seems like. You know, Zavi is building a team and, uh, you know, uh, like going over to the League 1, PSG seem to be dropping a few points. Now, uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's it's another Farmers League in addition to the Bundesliga. But there are only three points separating, you know, PSG from the next in the table. Yeah, and, and Ashwin is now seething at the mention of Bundesliga and Farmers League considering that Haaland seems to be scoring more goals in the Premier League. But yeah, the, the gap between PSG and the other teams is not as high. And uh, in, in fact, I think I read somewhere on Twitter today that uh, Mbappe tried to recreate the Martinez thing, some, what Martinez did with the Golden Glove. He, he did something similar with some trophy recently. So I don't think he's over it yet. So, Spurs versus City. And we had uh, City come back from 2-0 down to beat Spurs 4-2 in the reverse fixture, which was just a couple of weeks ago, handily. What are we thinking about this? If if Spurs lose this, is this the end of their challenge for top four? I think City will be much more prepared um, this time around. Um, those, those two goals that they conceded in the first half... Um, against Spurs. It kind of came out of nowhere and I'm sure Pep Guardiola would have lost it at halftime and they would have got a hairdryer treatment because the city that came out of the tunnel in the second half was a different city altogether. And they kind of brought that with them in the next game as well. They came back with a vengeance. Um, I don't know if you you if you guys have seen the the Pep Guardiola interview. It's like an Oscar-winning performance where he's basically talking about how he does not understand this team. This is not my team. This my teams um, uh, never lose their passion and like like it's it's just it's just hilarious to watch. But like I, I'm pretty sure he does all these antics in in the dressing room as well, and the the like they feel much more motivated, unlike. Unlike Conte, who does not feel motivated at all, and he of course has faced a lot of personal setbacks. I think three of his um, uh, friends, footballing friends, have passed away this year, which obviously has had a big impact on him. And then Spurs not spending to the extent that he wants. Uh, where have we heard that before? Um, I mean, I think 
like those two factors combined i feel that city are in the driving seat uh, but stranger things have happened so don't know what will happen next week yeah city city really seem to be you know finding their groove at the right time uh, this is what they always do they always have a stronger second half to the season than the first half uh, we have seen them going on these kind of you know long sprints where they suddenly win you know 14 15 matches that it might just be the start you never know you know what will trigger that while that doesn't seem very likely either that they go on this long run uh but but you never know with city and definitely looking at the last two results it you know they, it you know you can get some kind of a feeling that they are warming up in the title chase uh you know about conte i have much the same feelings that ashwin was talking about uh in addition to what ashwin said uh, conte's family is still in italy so uh, and and you can see that lack of motivation in you know which is not at all typical of a conte side the you know when you go to nila you expect conte teams to be able to see that out to be able to you know be very solid in defense be very hard to score against we have seen none of that with this first team they have conceded lots of goals they were you know one of the best teams in the division in second halves now that they had a lead in the first half they completely threw that away so it's very much you know jekyll and hyde performances that spurs are doing so you know even though spurs are at home they don't have a great home record and i fully expect you know city to go on and win this match uh, and you know offer some kind of competition to arsenal this season yeah i have to agree uh, i think if there is a prediction to be made about spurs and top 4 i would say that, or not top 4 i would actually say that uh, there is a decent chance spurs will lose out on even fifth um uh, i just you know there's a lot of negativity about the place right now obviously conte statement sir uh, i think that's happened uh city absolutely came out and blitzed them in the second half special shout out to mares i think he just completely ran and controlled that game especially in the second half he was uh he was just uh, magnificent there uh yeah this should be a pretty easy city win i think i uh, thought it's at uh, you know it's at spurs it's, and they don't usually make it easy but i think there's just too much momentum in the other direction right now for a variety of reasons yeah and city have to take their chances now right they have to run that streak that they usually do of going 12 13 games uh, winning them all and and scoring tons of goals um, because if they don't have that now they don't have the chance of uh, retaining their title and um, yeah with with spurs um, if if kane has a good day probably they can spring a surprise but other than that it, it's not looking good for them the wing back situation they have so many of them but uh, it's it's not working well perisic not in form conte's refusal to play the other ones spence not getting a look in he's he's it's he's basically uh, yeah it's 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 not looking well for them and as up said if uh, if if things go a certain way they can definitely lose out on the fifth spot as well one more match that will be interesting is forest and leeds so i think we'll get more clarity on that relegation top fight you know once that gets over uh, because these are the two teams who are most likely to you know compete for that bottom 3 in addition to what we discussed 
Yeah, and uh, awaiting further clarity on uh, all these battles throughout the league, uh, from the top of the table to the European spots and the bottom. We leave you now, listeners, and we will catch up with you in some days. I think uh, the Premier League is taking a break after tonight's game and uh, there's the FA Cup in between. So you might not hear from us uh, for a week or so, or maybe you might if the FA Cup throws up all those classics and we have the magic of the cup again. But uh, on that note, uh, we leave you for today and we shall see you soon. Bye-bye.